Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Little known fact about my guest today, he has an encyclopedic knowledge of Broadway history, but what's really incredible is he is a part of Broadway history. Welcome, Brad Oscar, to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is the multi-Tony-nominated actor, Brad Oscar. Brad has been seen on Broadway in Mrs. Doubtfire, Something Rotten, Big Fish, Nice Work If You Can Get It, The Addams Family, Spamalot, The Producers, Jekyll and Hyde, and Aspects of Love, the national tours of The Phantom of the Opera, Young Frankenstein, and Jekyll and Hyde. He starred in The Producers in London as well. On film, he can be seen in Ghost Town, The Producers, on television, Madam Secretary, Smash, The Good Wife, all the law and orders. I am so, so thrilled to have you and your dog. Is that what I see behind you? Or cat? Oh, yes, no, there that's he is. A- Making a little appearance in the background. Yes, that's Baz. Always. Beautiful. And Baz. Yeah. Oh, wow. Baz is beautiful. It's moments yeah. like this that I am sad this is a podcast, but we'll, <laughs> we will put yeah, but I didn't pictures. do my makeup, so I'm happy. I mean, well, you know, Baz early. did. Baz looks fabulous. Um, Well, you don't have to do your makeup right now. A, because it's a Tuesday afternoon. You wouldn't have a matinee anyway. Um, But you have had the most interesting journey. Well, your life has been such an interesting journey to that. Yes, we all have our journeys. But yes, those of us who are are right now actively, you know, uh, and I guess just talking about Broadway as far as the commercial theater goes here in the city and off-Broadway, of course. Right. But yes, it's been unlike any any time we've ever experienced, you know, yet another hurdle. We dealt with, of course, the 18 months. I mean, everybody did all of live theater, you know, and all of live theater is currently dealing with what's also happening right now, of course. The problem is the bigger they come, the harder they fall. And we, as we know, the way Broadway economics works, um, you know, it makes it very hard to keep a show up and running when audiences literally, you know, evaporate and dry up at a time that's difficult anyway, January, February, notoriously throughout the many years I've been in show business. Thank you. And that was most of my career. Jeez Louise, I'm exhausted. No, I've been very blessed. And so I've been in enough shows that have run 
for a couple of years or so and January and February, you know, unless it was like the producers and its first year or, you know, shows like that, those are difficult months. And now we're dealing with, you know, this again in a way that sadly, uh, despite being vaccinated, although I maintain going to the theater is still one of the safest ways that we can continue to gather because all believe me on the other side of the footlights from the time you walk in that theater rather everywhere in that building from the front of house to everyone on stage and backstage you know not only vaccinated but tested out the wazoo okay i just want to give context for the few people <laughs> yes i dove right into that for the few people who don't know yeah no please. this is doubtfire uh, a broadway musical based on the film by the same name yes. uh was just starting to perform when the pandemic hit in March and and broad of 2020 Correct. and Broadway was shut down. Yes. Um, and so it was one of these stories of a show that was just beginning to to land and find right. its audience. Um, and then for 18 months, maybe longer, you guys were closed. Mm -hmm. Then you came back, had a proper opening when Broadway, one of the, uh, as musicals started to open, you were, you were sort of not early in the game, but sort of later in, right. in the season. Yeah. Um, so when you came back, I want to talk a little bit about that moment because you'll be back again and then we'll have you on the show again. And we'll get to have like a postscript to sort of exactly. what the story really looked like, which was yeah. thrilling. Um, I, I actually, full disclosure, I first really you came on my radar in a huge way because Roger Bart, my friend, was in a show on Broadway called The Producers um, a little bit after we did Charlie Brown together. And so I went to see it and suddenly there was an actor. I knew many of the people in the show already personally, um, but then you came on stage and I was like, oh my God, this is the funniest. And that was a lot of funny people in that oh, show wow. that but crazy. you managed to come on stage mm -hmm. and uh capture all of our attentions as Franz mm -hmm. um and then had such a life with that show taking over for Nathan both on Broadway um you did the tour of it you you went to London with it I mean that show was part of your DNA yeah. for a really oh, long yeah. time you know when I read your bio at the beginning is it nine, 10 Broadway shows, regional? This is my, this is my ninth. Yeah. This is your ninth show. My ninth, crazy. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you fell in love with the theater, where you grew up. When did the performing arts enter your consciousness? Can you share that with us? Well, it's definitely a family thing because my folks loved going to the theater, did some community theater. My mom's dad was the president of the Variety Club in D.C. at one point, which was sort of a entertainment. I should know more about what the Variety Club actually is. Uh, but uh, they, we have I, nine weeks right now. They still exactly. They still <laughs> exist. And they so anyway, came by it honestly, grew up in D.C. So was able to my folks were able to see a lot of they saw shows. try. You know, they saw Promises, Promises and Hello, Dolly try out in D.C. and shows like that. And so. I came by it honestly as far as that went. I was introduced to it in that respect at an early age with cast albums, hearing them in the house and those scores, especially of the late 60s, early 70s. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, God bless my folks. You know, they saw Company. They saw Follies. So that's in my, you know, that stuff's in my DNA. And that's like, I guess we all have our touchstones and we all have our look. But I'm like, what a perfect time to grow up and fall in love with musical theater when it was transitioning from the golden age. So MAME is still like, 
a touchstone of mine, but, but then into, you know, and dear Steve, dear Steve, because you had to call him Steve, if you had the fortune, good fortune of, you know, being in a room with him and working on something. And I did that amazing Sweeney off Broadway, the environmental, which was just, again, I pinch myself that I've been able to, to do some of the things I've been able to do and be a part of. But anyway, so I grew up uh, uh, with all that exposure, was doing, you know, putting on shows in the basement and, um, and then had some really great, uh, besides my parents taking me to the theater, which of course is, I always think half of one's education is seeing live theater or dance or music or whatever it is that turns you on in that way or everything really art, you know, it informs, right? Everything we do. But as far as if that's what you want to do, get up there, especially musical theater, you know, the more you can see, the, the, the more you then start to gain a critical eye. My dad, I love, my dad always says that he knew that I was serious about this and it, it wasn't just me playing when I started not to love everything I saw. <laughs> you know, which makes so much sense when I think of, I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, yeah. I wasn't just loving every, just going to the theater was such a magical experience, but then right. I would start to, to discern and, you know, and, and we were lucky. God, you talk about being blessed, the randomness of life. My folks, because they were uh, into theater and, of course, this being the early 70s, had gay friends. They met and befriended Sammy Williams, who was the original Paul and a Tony winning Paul in a chorus line. Uh, but Sammy at the time, earlier in 1972-ish, let's say, three, no, three probably, or four even, was on tour with Seesaw. So anyway, through that posse of mutual people and meeting Sammy and seeing Seesaw, they met the head usher at the Opera House at the Kennedy Center. Dear Pat DePew, God rest her soul. She took a liking to my parents. And the next thing you know, for the rest of my life, I mean, for the rest of my life, for the, for the rest of her term at the Opera House, but especially from then, and this is like, I'm what, I'm eight years old, nine years old, for, to, I went to college we got walked into the opera house. You know, now that I'm in the business and I understand how this works and what a company manager does and is and how they function in front of house and then at the box office, the idea that she would constantly walk us in, you know, and I'm talking, well, the best was seeing, of course, all the, all the bomb musicals that I got to see because I consider that to be a huge part of my education. And I love to this day, I love a good and I cherish some of those experiences because they all had some good stuff somewhere. No one's trying to set out to make a bomb. But, uh, but anyway, I was able to go and see shows two and three times and watch them try to make it work and watch when they did make it work, watch 42nd Street sort of deal with its issues and have a, a playbill somewhere with Gower Champion's signature on it. And if you know, you know, some of the great history, great history, not great history, but some of the history of Broadway, Gower Champion passed away on the opening night of 42nd Street when it opened here on Broadway. So uh, I got to find that, that playbill. But um, I just, uh, uh, the opportunity to see all that theater was huge. So as we're talking about my education and that was huge. The theater department at the Jewish Community Center in Rockville, Maryland, this theater department aimed at teen, mostly teens. Uh, we did a summer musical every summer, but during the year they had like legitimate acting and voice and dance. And I kid you not, when I got to BU, I already knew as far as like a lot of the breathing exercises. So I was very lucky to have a teacher or two uh, 
at the JCC that I would just take these eggs, you know, after school, I would go, you know, God bless my folks, right? You know, they're driving you back and forth. But um, you, are you Jewish? Oh, yeah. Yes, by the way. And so was that, um, was was Judaism at all a part of your upbringing beyond mm. the religion <laughs> of theater, musical theater? Exactly, beyond the temple of the theater. Yes. No, because we were we were pretty reformed as far as that goes. I was bar mitzvahed. I did have to go to Hebrew school, sort of hated it. I wasn't a bad student, but for some reason I could not wrap my head around the Hebrew language. But anyway, got through my bar mitzvah. But no, other than the holiday, you know, you do the holidays. It's a, I mean, you know, it's what, and it's what, what I love about Judaism is that it, it does, I, I don't feel as judged by Judaism to not be like a good Jew, a bad Jew. Religion to me, and I believe Judaism, and so much of it is about how you treat your fellow man. Uh, uh, there's so much more to it than, you know, again, the way we show our devotion or the way we, the way we worship, if you will. But, um, but no, I, uh, Yes, believe me. And it wasn't, again, you could take classes at the JCC and not be Jewish, but it didn't. Uh, no, I think my aunt worked there and she's the one who told my folks, oh, they have this summer program and that's how that started. But, you know, so again, great teachers that I met there, my voice teacher, who was a voice teacher in the DC area, who taught some classes at the JCC, who I then just ended up studying with privately again until I went to college, who instilled in me you know, again, a technique, you know, we learn things that are the earlier you can learn the proper way to sing, you know, and use your voice in those ways. Ideally, you know, the more equipped you are. And I've always been so grateful to, uh, and still God bless her, Anna Menta, living outside Detroit, we're still in touch. I can't say enough about, you know, I mean, she's one of those, you know, we all have our, our big mentors along the way. And I, uh, she, you know, because she also was in the business uh, at times. And so she, you know, she knew about that part of it. And um, yeah, just uh, very, very lucky to have her. In so my when this boy, Brad Oscar, who, <laughs> uh, who is so immersed in all things musical yes. from the time he was conscious, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's talk about your Broadway debut. And what that felt like to you and your family and these mentors yeah. and yeah. all of the people who, sure. who come along with you on your journey. Right. How did because, that happen? Because that's exact. I mean, that has always been so much of the joy of my journey is sharing it with, you know, certainly starting with my folks, God knows, and my sister, who also was a performer. So that's, you know, she to, to you know, and now with my husband. And so sharing it with the people that you love and that love you is 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 half of the joy, you know, to have anything joyous in one's life, I think, and not be able to share that in some way in that way, you know, would would be would be terrible. And so. So, yes, it's been extraordinary. I mean, the fact that just, you know, two, gosh, not even two months ago, a month and a half ago, before the world exploded again, we celebrated my mother's 80th birthday, literally the day at the opening night party for Jekyll, for, for Mrs. Doubtfire. Why is that in my head? So a month and a half ago, we said, you know, my mother was able to celebrate her 80th, coming to an opening night of a Broadway musical, you know, where her son has a nice little featured role. And, you know, and they, and again, they, they love this. They get it. They appreciate yeah. it. They were taking, yeah. you know, they, they took me to, you know, we go to Joe Allen every Saturday night after our weekends in the city. Then we yes. started coming to the city. That's the next part of the story is we start coming to the city in the late seventies. 
and seeing four shows in a weekend. And, you know, then my, then this becomes fantasy land up here, of course. And so, you know, so to share that. Do you remember the first Broadway? I mean, it sounds like you saw so much. What was the first New York Broadway show? Oh yeah. It was at the St. James theater, which would be a very special place for me. Well, on the 20th century, the original production of on the 20th century. Yeah. Wow. Um, Wait, and by the way, did you, your sister is Victoria? It is Victoria. Victoria. Have you guys, did you guys do stuff together growing up? Was she at the JCC? We did, yes, she was. Yes, we did Oliver together. We did Oliver together. She was a wonderful Charlie Bates, I believe. See, non-traditional crossover casting, well before it was fashionable. Ahead of its Um, time. Exactly. (laughs) And we did, uh, I don't, no, I mean, as we've gotten old, you know, we've, we've sung together at times and stuff like that. But um, but no, we've never worked together professionally as far as that goes. OK, I don't no. mean to derail the story, but no, I'm just curious no, because I'm obsessed with siblings and families. It's my favorite yeah. thing. Um, OK, tell me about your Broadway debut. Well, my actual, you know, what's funny. I was thinking about this recently enough. I don't know the exact date of my Broadway debut. How about that? I want to. I have to find this out. The reason is I was a swing. I was a swing on Aspects of Love, Andrew Lloyd Webber's first musical after Phantom, I think. Or did Starlight Express come along? I don't know. Any hoo ha. Uh, Phantom was running next door at the Majestic, and Aspects of Love was at the Broadhurst. And Aspects of Love was not terribly well received, but still managed to run for about a year because. But you were cast. But you were cast in a Broadway show. Oh, I was cast in a Broadway show by going to an open by going to an open call. Uh, okay. I, I went so to the, talk about that. So I was able to join Equity because at the time uh, I had joined AFTRA when I was a child in DC okay. I did TV work. So I joined AFTRA when I was like twelve, and at the time you could join the other unions if you belong to one of the three: AFTRA, SAG, and Equity. They you were could buy different. in, basically. Correct. Yes. So after a year or so of being in the- Is that your answering machine going off? No, that was just the phone ringing. (laughs) That's all that was, a a, a landline. Yes, folks, a landline. Because if you think I'm getting rid of my 212 area code, you are wrong. Never. Never. Okay, fair enough. So so I decide that, uh, uh, you know, waiting to be seen at the end of the equity, remember they would sometimes see non-ec or whatever. I was like, you know what, I'm here. This is what I want to do. Why not have, be able to go to these EPAs, these equity court, you know, the chorus calls and the EPAs and the whole thing. So I get my equity card and I do just that. I start to go to all these calls and that's, I went to the chorus call for aspects of love and they were looking for some character men. And so I had a call back and, um, had to do a monologue, which is so funny because you so rarely have to do that anyway, much less for a musical. Um, but I had done this reading of a new play that I don't know how I even stumbled into doing, but there was a, I had this great monologue in this play, this very funny monologue. And it's, it served me very well. And especially that day, I think, because, you know, you want to, something needs to stand out. A good voice is a dime a dozen, a, you know what I mean? It's like, what makes you, what brings, so I think that monologue for me, um, because I, you know, Trevor Nunn was laughing and that was, there's nothing more joyous than knowing you're making some connection for better or for worse, man, he was laughing. And I was, 
So, you know, so anyway, I, yeah, I got the job and I was a swing and I was covering, it was a very easy show to swing. A swing is basically an offstage cover for most of the members of the ensemble who then cover the principal roles. So if they're on for a principal, you're on for them. <clears throat> Although I also did cover a principal role of Marcel played by the great Walter Charles. Um, and I got to go on for that several times, which was wonderful. But so I'm a swing. So I'm responsible for certain guys in the ensemble, uh, probably like four or five, wasn't a huge cast. And then there's another male swing, Wiley Kid, and Wiley is responsible for anyone who dances. <laughs> we all danced at some point, but I mean the dancer dancers, right? So he's responsible yeah. for his guys. Um, but as a swing, even then, and well, I guess especially because it's always been this way, just because you technically cover doesn't mean you're not going to be grabbed to say, oh, my God. So for some reason, Wiley must have hurt himself. Nothing major, but he did something. And then this actor in the ensemble who I would not be a primary cover for. Now, he's not one of the dancer dancers because that would have been we would have had to cancel the show. I mean, if Greg Mitchell, God rest his soul, who was an extraordinary dancer and a Broadway gypsy in the best sense of the word and taught me so much. And in my first Broadway show, I to have worked with him and, and he was the dance captain. So he would rehearse me a lot as a swing covering all those different things. So anyway, if Greg Mitchell had been out, no, Brad Oscar could not have gone on. But the actor who was out, Kurt, Kurt Johns. <laughs> Hi, Kurt, if you're listening. <clears throat> Kurt was out. And I had to go on for a track that I really was not prepared to go on for because it wasn't on my primary list of, you know, but it happened. And to be honest with you, I, I don't know how it happened. You know, it was a lot, my God, it was 31, over 31 years ago, Lord, Lord, Lord. Um, but I don't remember the date. It would have been March of 1990, mid to late March. I'll have to look. It wasn't far into previews. And I'm sure I can find somewhere, some, I don't know what, I'll find an old, I'll talk to my friend Michael Passaro, get an old stage manager's report and find out uh, <laughs> Brad Oscar on for Kirk Jobs. But that was my actual Broadway debut as far as being on a Broadway stage in front of an audience, paying audience for the first time. You know, and then, yeah. And then I went on plenty, you know, but my folks didn't, my folks didn't come to opening night because I wasn't on of course. And so uh, I just had some friends because we decided we'd wait until we knew I was going to be on, had a schedule, yeah. you know, on, and then they came up and we, you know, and so that was, yeah. So, yeah. And who so. were, you know, so much of this is sort of working with the same people sometimes over and over again, who, who were your fans? What was your lucky break? What happened that sort of changed things when you look back? change things well you you're not a swing and you haven't been a swing for a very long time <laughs> well so, oh, oh well the yes i mean the producers of course because you know i had been again this the, the aspects of love led to then a year on tour with aspects of love in that you know in a very different production as well um uh, it, it, you know, it got me, it got the ball rolling or whatever. And then as I talked about after doing a couple of years of Forbidden Broadway, which was great fun here off Broadway. Um, so you, you know, were part of that world, the Forbidden Broadway world. It was, yes. Like that took me to Los Angeles. We did a run, it closed here in New York 
for the first time. I'm proud to say I closed Forbidden Broadway after a, <laughs> Good for you. My God, Someone had to. Yeah, I guess. My God, it had been running for, I don't know, well over 12 years or something. But we closed in 94 and went to L.A. for the summer. That company, which was actually a wonderful, great fun to do it out there, which led to my meeting Frank Wildhorn and Linda Etter, which led to come come be on the on the concept album of Jekyll and Hyde we're making, which then a couple of months later led to come be in this production, which is happening in Houston, which, you know, again, show business led to a year on tour and then almost four years on Broadway. So, you know, so I was very happy. I was working at home. I, you know, Jekyll was like such a gift. I was at home working on Broadway, all good, able to still obviously audition and continue my, you know, that, but, but they were very generous. Jekyll let me go to do, to do an encores, you know, at city center mm -hmm. to play Santa Claus when radio city would do their Christmas show outside of New York a lot. So I got to go do that in, in LA and then the next year in Branson. And then that's, and then I was in Branson and that's when I get the phone call. They're looking for a standby for the role of Max Bialystok to be played okay. by Mr. Nathan Lane. So okay. yeah. So yes. <clears throat> so yeah. So then I, so then that, you know, that happens as far as the craziness of literally the week, then flying in, spending all this money to fly in for this audition because it was happening ASAP because they were starting rehearsals in a couple of weeks. I was the last person cast. They were ready to go into rehearsal. I'm already up and doing, I'm on leave from Jekyll. I'm supposed to go back to Jekyll. It's still running. David Hasselhoff has come in. So things are about to change at Jekyll. But as far as I know, it's still running. And anyway, I, I fly in to, uh, for the standby for Max and I fly back. And the next thing, you know, boom, I get it. They negotiate me out of Radio City and into the producers because Susan Stroman was still doing Christmas Carol at MSG, which was under the same umbrella as Radio City. So she basically called Radio City and said, I need your Santa from Branson. Sounds hilarious and ridiculous. So, yeah, true. It's true. It's true. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting in the room. But the next thing I know, I'm a swing again. Not, not a bad thing, except, oh, my God on a Susan Stroman show, dance show, in that way that everybody dances to an extent. Oh my God, it was, it was crazy. I was overwhelmed uh, with the material that I was gonna be responsible for because it was a lot. I was swinging, oh, because I was, by the way, I was covering Max, I was covering Franz, and I was covering Roger Debris. And I was covering primarily, I say in quotes, right? Four or five men in the ensemble the character men in the ensemble. So rehearsals here in New York and when we got to Chicago were, yeah, it was a crazy time. It was as exciting as it was stressful. And I was popping every ginkoba, biloba, anything I could find that was going to help my brain power. It's hilarious, right? No, but um, of course it's terrifying. You know? Oh gosh. I mean, you know, it's the, yeah. I mean, again, the, one of the wonderful things that's happened in the last month is that swings and understudies have been recognized in a way, you know, in the biz right now, if you're at all aware of what's happening and what's been happening and comments that have been made, not quite understanding what swings and understudies do. Well, guess what? You know, I hope a lot of people now do because uh, it is unquestionably the backbone and the hardest job in the building. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm grateful 
that I was never tested on the producers in that way because my career would have taken an entirely different turn because again, that was a lot of responsibility and I'm not nearly as facile when it comes to, you know, I'll get things in my body as far as dancing, but wow, <clears throat> it was a lot. I was scared, but wouldn't you know the way things happen for Brad Oscar, I guess for Brad Oscar, this is the way it happened for me, you know, um, yeah, the actor playing Franz has to have some surgery in Chicago in order to be better for New York, which made total sense for him at the time. And so I was on as Franz while this happened. And one thing led to another and they decided they preferred what I was doing and they bought him out of his contract. And the next thing you know, I'm Franz and I'm still covering Max and even Roger, technically, for the first year. But I'm not covering any of the ensemble. So I'm not worried about how I'm going to do that little old lady walker dance. Because my, uh, God bless, I swear to God, I have no muscles in my arms. It look, may look like I do. But anyway, that walker, you have to, at one point, you do a big fan kick, you know, using the old lady, the, the uh, you know, the walkers. I, I just, you know, again, it requires a lot of upper body strength. Anyway, I was it terrified me. Uh, there were so many things I was trying to master. And all of a sudden, that was that responsibility was taken away. Franz was a, a gift of a role to cover because it's like the perfect little evening. It's like at a fine restaurant. You have a beautiful little appetizer here. And then here's a piece here. Here's your main course. Here's your dessert. You know, he's got just nice, his opening scene. Then he comes back at the end of act one. Then you get to do Hob and Ziga Her. I mean, it's all manageable and delicious. And to just be a part of that show, much less have that opportunity. So, um, and you were nominated. And then I was nominated. And then yeah. I was nominated. I mean, you know, I just think about your family. I mean, for some people, exactly. they're explaining to their family what it means. It's actually a great thing. It's it's a, yeah. it's a big deal. Don't worry about it. Um, exactly. But in your family, uh, it's yeah. the Afikomen, right? Well, like, uh, wait, I was going to say the high holiday in my family was Tony night. And, and exactly. yeah, yeah, there was Incredible. a time in the there was at least a year or two where I would tape record with my little cassette recorder so no one could talk during the show because I was literally, I would put the tape recorder in front of the TV, yeah. press play and record. Cause I think you had to press both at the same time. If I to record, to record. Yes. Right. And I would, you know, and then, you know, because maybe the album hadn't come out yet and I could listen to whatever song, you know, they did from Barnum or, you know, it was just, um, yeah. So it was, it was yes. A Holy night. And so, yeah, the Tonys, my God. So to be nominated for a Tony crazy. Crazy. I mean, again, the way it all played out, even crazier. Um, but that, and, and a very long answer to your question, is what put me, you know, I, I look at it like um, like a dartboard, if you will, you know, and these concentric circles that lead to, I mean, if that's, uh, you know, I didn't dream of being a Broadway star. I dreamt mm -hmm. of hopefully being a working actor. Yes, on Broadway, because I love it. Yes, having the opportunity to hopefully play roles and do things and create stuff and sure. Um, but, um, but, uh, 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 oh, whoopsie, I'm spinning now. I forgot what I was. Well, I'm going to save you with another question because that's yeah. my job. Um, you're not spinning. <laughs> you just have a lot of memories flooding back oh from such yeah. a, a, a yeah. life lived in ah, the theater. 
Um, you know, I, I've had many cast members on the show, Matthew and Katie and Roger and, you know, um, I have a, a note from Mel Brooks on my wall and I wasn't even in your show. Um, uh, but, but I wonder if you can talk a little bit about sort of being in the room with, with, with Susan Stroman or Stro, as you guys call her and, and Mel Brooks and sort of any little, listen, A, you're watching Matthew and Nathan, this dynamic duo, right, sure. you know, sort of find their way into sure. these iconic roles. Then you do the role yourself, which probably meant shedding all the stuff you watched all that time and allowing yourself to make it your own. It, it you know, there's all that that goes with it, but Right. Tell me a little bit about Mel Brooks and, and Stroman for you in that experience. If there are any memories that kind of pop in your head. Well, yeah, I mean, the memories are of, of enormous support and encouragement and trust. Um, uh, you know, everybody was very, um, it allowed me to step up. It allowed me to trust myself, I guess. And, um, you know, you know, we're all, you know, we talk about how we fell in love with it and what we did as kids and everything. And so I remember the first time I had something to chew on, right? The first time I got attention in that way because I was able to own something. Mm -hmm. And um, so to have the opportunity to do that, to take advantage of it without questioning myself, my ability, my choices, you know, although I know I did at the time, believe me, but um but I was very encouraged. And uh, so, yeah, they, they couldn't have been, you know, things were, you know, again, I was riding, I was riding the train, you know, but I knew enough to be able to jump on because I've loved this art form since I was a child. And I think I get American musical comedy. I get it in my way, but I, I can say that I get it. <clears throat> there are rhythms and style and whatever. And, and it's got to be, you know, as we know, the trick of it, it's, it's, it is larger than life. It is false. It is amplified, but it's still got to be true. And yeah. so that's your job. That's the true job of, of, a, of, a, of a good musical theater performer. Because yeah. any, not anybody, you can do a play, you can do Death of a Salesman, you know, take a long day's journey in tonight. And, and it's a different experience for the actor and the audience uh, to inhabit and tell that story. In a musical, the way we tell a story, right, as we know, is hopefully often to elevate and burst into song and blah, blah, blah. And that needs to be just as true as, you know, Mary Tyrone having her breakdown from morphine, which is a whole other thing. But the same truth needs to exist when you know, all these things happen ideally, right? I'm talking in ideals, but, but, but the idea that, um, that I knew what I want to see in a show like the producers. So I'm going to deliver hopefully what I think this performance should be right. My outside eye, you know, because you are, and I was certainly, as you said, as an understudy primarily for Franz and then for Max working from the outside in, in a way, because it has been built. You know, Franz had been built already by the actor. You know, initially I was still just the understudy, but I was, so my job wasn't to come in and reinvent it, make it new, say, hey, you guys, look what yeah. here's, you know, I have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Although yeah. again, 
one was encouraged to bring one's ideas to the table. Yeah, but it had to fit in an already uh, choreographed right. block. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I navigated that. And then the more I felt, again, comfortable and, you know, was given encouragement and could tell that, you know, Nathan was happy, Matthew was happy, Stro was happy, Mel was happy, audiences were happy. You know, I got to be there then in rehearsals in Chicago as we were fixing, changing, sharpening. You know, you talk about a moment in the play. I believe, I, I, well, I, I, I'll, I, I know it's true because it was my life, I think, as much as I can really remember things actually happening a certain way sometimes. Um, there's a bit in the show that's my Franz in the, in the end of the play. He comes in and he's going to kill himself because everything's gone to hell, right? The show's a success. And he clicks the gun against his head and it doesn't go off. Oh, jammed. And we moved on from there. And I thought, well, can I just toss the gun on the sofa and maybe it'll go off or something, whatever? Boom. There it is. And it's in the show. So it's like, oh, jammed. And he tosses it and it goes off and we all talk. And it's, and it's, a great bit of stage business and it is such a yeah. satisfying yeah, thing please. for the audience oh, and they know it's coming and it's yeah. still funny yeah i mean it's, it's all the more it's, because you know, of it it was a you know it was so so yeah i um yeah i was lucky you know right place right time uh i was prepared you know yeah. there's something to be said right for being prepared and 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 how you uh how you handle certain situations I've seen now over my many years, how actors deal with stress and actors deal with insecurities that we all have and all possess. Because if you didn't, I don't trust you as an actor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if or you think you person. have all the answers, if you yeah. think you have all the answers and you think you're, you're, you're the shit, I don't want to, you know, I have no interest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we all deal with that stuff. And, and uh, uh, I am grateful to, you know, have been, uh, uh, whether they it's through role models that I've had or uh, certainly that I've worked with, you know, and teachers that um, I think that's a huge part of one's, uh, uh, not career, one's, you know, why people hopefully want to work with you. You know what I mean? The idea that you're a good collaborator, you're good to work, you know, you're generous that way. You, you respect other people in the room, everyone in the room, everyone in the process, you know? So um, anyway, anyway, just things that, you know, that I've learned along the way that I hope have made me Again, each time you go into a room and you're attacking a new project, you know, that I'm able to bring as much of myself to the work and, you know, try not to judge. <laughs> well, as someone who has uh, had the great privilege of seeing you time and time again, um, I feel so lucky that I've gotten to see so, so many of your performances and, and just I know how beloved you are. And, and how much everyone loves working with you and you bring that spirit of joy and generosity um, into the work and into the rehearsal room and at the stage door and all of those places. And, um, and you brought it today to this conversation and I feel so lucky, Brad Oscar, to say thank uh -huh. you in, in virtual person. Uh -huh. um, before oh. I let you go um, and rest before Dow Fire comes on to the, the Broadway stage again, before you even know it. Um, and I got to see it and it was fabulous. And you were just oh, so- Thank you. Thank you. Know, just yeah, so just... filled with, it's just such a, a loving performance. It's just so filled with so much love. Um, is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Um, a little known fact. 
Well, uh, yes, I would say a little known fact about me is that I do not like seafood. I do not like seafood. And, and then somebody, oh, but uh, salmon? No. Lobster? No. Beet tuna? No. I do not like seafood. But do you like I mean, seafood? I do not like seafood. <laughs> yeah. I do, one exception, I do like Swedish fish. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Fred Oscar. Fred Oscar. On that note. God bless you. <laughs> and to you. Thank you so much. This was lovely. It was lovely talking to you. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out. And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are little known facts that you know. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.